I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. And welcome to What's Next. On this segment of our show, we're going to take a look at race and traffic stops in the city of Buffalo. If you haven't heard it, Holly Kirkpatrick and the WBFO team did a thorough analysis of traffic receipts, traffic stop receipts in the city of Buffalo. And with that came the story, Driving While Black in Buffalo. If you haven't heard it, here it is now. Buffalo is a city designed for driving, so many people make their way around by car. But some people can move around more freely than others. If you're driving around Buffalo and you're black, then you're over three times more likely to get pulled over by the Buffalo Police Department compared to a white person. That's one of the findings from WBFO's analysis of three years of traffic stop receipt data recorded by the Buffalo Police. Essentially, there are racial disparities in traffic stops, with black drivers being disproportionately stopped by the BPD. Drivers like James Clark. I was followed before I was even pulled over and stopped. So I think they just made up an excuse for a reason to stop me. Clark estimates that he's been stopped by the BPD approximately four times in the last three years. He says officers have searched his vehicle each time. They never gave me a ticket or anything. They ended up letting me go because they just wanted to search my vehicle. So I felt like I was just being racial profiled and because I was black driving, probably in the wrong neighborhood where it's crime or stuff. So I, I'm not really sure, but I felt like I was being harassed for the wrong reason. Clark's hunch about stops varying by neighbourhood is confirmed in the data. The analysis of the stop receipts shows that zip codes with majority black residents have more total traffic stops than those with majority white residents. So what is a stop receipt and where does this data come from? People have come out to proclaim that black lives matter. Stop receipts have been in use since June 2020, when, in response to the protests after the police murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown announced they'd be mandated as part of Buffalo's reform agenda. Stop receipts must be issued by officers when a traffic ticket is not, designed as a less punitive way to make streets safer and to create greater transparency in the BPD. And in July 2021, they were written into local law. So the whole point of stop receipts was to expose um, what we already knew was happening to, to, to black drivers, which was driving while black, right? Jolanda Hill is the co-founder and coordinator of the Fair Fines and Fees Coalition, one of the groups that advocated for the stop receipts in Buffalo. We've taken a look at that three years worth of data and I've just now shown you the findings. What is your reaction to those findings? My reaction is I'm not surprised at all. That, that's just the country we live in. We live in a country 
where systemic structural racism is a thing. And as a result of that, the stories of black folks and brown folks are hardly, if ever, believed until you collect the data for it to say, hey, you know, here you go. This is what we've been saying all along, but here are the numbers. And the numbers ring alarm bells for Bobby Hodgson, supervising attorney at the New York Civil Liberties Union. This suggests, you know, certainly suggests that there could be racial profiling happening. People could be stopped because of the color of their skin. It raises a host of civil liberties and civil rights concerns about why the Buffalo PD is doing what it's doing. Everybody knows what sort of very serious outcomes can flow from a, a vehicle stop. Everything from being arrested to police violence to vehicles being seized. And when they're happening at disproportionate rates to black people in Buffalo, that means people are at risk just from, from going out in their car. And there's another way the BPD could be legally exposed. Our findings show that for almost a quarter of records, officers are not properly recording the race of the driver as mandated under the city's right to know law. And as you buckle up for a journey around the city, bear this in mind on your travels. Of the nine council districts, Fillmore District has the most total stops. It's alarming and concerning. And I think where I really want to get to the kind of the brass tacks of it to the police department is is why. Fillmore District Council member Mitch Nowakowski says people travel to his district to commit crime and residents often tell him they'd like more police patrols as a consequence. But traffic stops are not intended to be used as a blunt tool to look for other criminal offences. That would be a violation of the Fourth Amendment. So it's like, how do we untangle all of these things so that not only do people feel safe, are we solving crimes, but that we're also not disproportionately targeting uh, minority communities. For Jolanda Hill, one solution is to remove police from traffic enforcement altogether. She's working with the Vera Institute of Justice and their national coalition called Stop the Stops to develop policies to remove armed police from traffic enforcement and to replace them with unarmed civilian traffic safety officers. But that process will take time. Because let's face it, Police have been enforcing traffic safety for decades. So to just remove them and it's just like, you know, that that's irresponsible advocacy. So obviously we're working with lawyers, we're working with people that are experts, people with lived experiences to write a smart policy that makes sense for drivers, that makes sense for city government, that makes sense for residents. In a statement in response to this story, Mike DeGeorge, the city's director of communications and senior advisor to the mayor, did not directly address the findings or claims made in this piece. He said that if anyone has an issue regarding a traffic stop, they're asked to call the Buffalo Police Department and file a complaint. In the meantime, Nowakowski has committed to filing WBFO's findings with the Council's Police Oversight Committee. You can find the full story along with visualisations of the data and the city's full statement at wbfo.org. Holly Kirkpatrick, WBFO News. And we're back on What's Next, and with us is Holly Kirkpatrick. Hello, Holly. Hello. Holly, I'm glad that you mentioned that at the end of your story about all of the other visualizations that are at WBFO.org and also a, a more in-depth um, elements to that story. And by the way, that was six minutes of uh, really packed in, lots in there. Now we have an opportunity to expand on this conversation just a, a little bit, and you can take us through Um what about how this all started? Where did it start for you? Well, the data was the starting point. So we have actually an open data portal that the city of Buffalo 
runs as I understand it. And there's all sorts of data sets on there. And you can find the traffic stock receipt data set on that portal. And I was actually fiddling about on the portal for another story just to corroborate um, some information for something else. And I saw this data set on there and downloaded it and started to ask questions of it. So that's really what data journalism is, is you let the data lead in a way. You ask certain questions of it, you put it into an Excel spreadsheet. Um, I use these things called pivot tables. um, And this became what the data was telling me. This became the story that there are racial disparities in traffic stops. So I had a kind of preliminary look at that data, preliminary analysis, and it started to become clear to me that this was the story. Um, But with data journalism, for me, it can sometimes be a little bit lonely doing that sort of stuff in a vacuum. Right. And it makes a stronger story if you use anybody else that has those expertise. And um, we actually have here at Buffalo Toronto Public Media, WBFO as a part of that, a data analyst here called Alyssa Brule. And so I asked her to take a look at the data as well and ask certain questions of the data as well. And then that sparked off a collaborative working relationship. I, I appreciate when journalists go through the effort to go through data like this. It's, it's a grind. There's no doubt about it. And trying to go through and put things on spread, spreadsheets. And I, I have grown to really have a great appreciation for, for people in the field who go through the, the, doing this. At the same time, let's just take a, a step back and talk about traffic stop receipts. Mm-hmm. What are they? So they are a piece of paper that you may be issued if you are stopped by a Buffalo police officer instead of a traffic ticket. So they are supposed to be issued to a driver that gets pulled over that does not get a ticket. So you're supposed to get one or the other. Okay. And the traffic stop receipt tells you, if you're pulled over, why you were stopped. Um, And it's also designed, as I mentioned in the story, um, to increase transparency in the BPD. And the police officers must record other things about the stop beside the reason. So things like where the stop happened, um, the the age of the driver, and one of those things is race. So that is one of the things in the data set that you can ask questions of. You can analyze the data in that way. And for those who were listening to the story at the top of the show, they did hear the cut from Mayor Brown. Uh, this came back what, in 2020, I believe, when mm-hmm. uh, there was considerable unrest in the city of Buffalo when it came to uh, Buffalo police. The idea of this was to be an improvement upon previous conditions, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think what what he said when he announced it was that it was directly in response to the protests, and mm-hmm. he didn't hide that in his announcement. Um, and actually, he said that black and I am paraphrasing here, but black people and white people have come out to proclaim that black lives matter. And this executive order was part of other reforms or um, elements, I would say, of the Buffalo reform agenda. That's what it's called. And it was in response, yes, to those protests. So he said that it was supposed to increase um, transparency and improve community relations between residents of the city of Buffalo and the BPD. We could probably say, since you were able to go on the portal, transparency has improved to a certain extent. 
because not all of the traffic receipts, which we'll get into a little bit here, were, were totally filled out, but that's part of it. But the other part, community relations, and again, this is maybe being a little subjective, just from what I'm hearing from people on who have been on this program, whether on air or off, I don't know if there's really necessarily that, that sense of an improved community relations. That, again, is a little bit subjective, but I most certainly could probably find a few people who would be more than willing to say that it hasn't improved. Well, I think it raises questions of that people and the findings show that black people are disproportionately being stopped compared to white people, but not just to, compared to white people, compared to their population in the city of Buffalo. And I might add that that is just population. It's not even based on the population of drivers. So that indicates that this disparity could be even greater than what I found. Um, but yes, when it comes to community relations, I think that it does ask, it does raise questions how much do you Im are you improving community relations if the stops are still happening in the first place, whether a ticket or a receipt? Whether there's an over-policing of the black population of Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, right. essentially. Right. Exactly. So, um, you know, it would be interesting to know if this data is ever used within the police department or if it is just used by people like me who go onto the data portal and analyze it in the public interest. Um, because if the police are able to use this, then um, I would like to ask what's stopping them from using this to inform policing strategy or performance or ideas, you know? Stay with us. There's more to come. This is What's Next on WBFO. This is the Buffalo Toronto Public Media History Bite, bringing you a peek into significant historical events for the week of November 27th through December 3rd. I'm your host and program director, Tom Barich. November 27th, 1917, the TV host of the Howdy Doody Show was born on this day. Robert Emile Smith, also known as Buffalo Bob Smith, played the part ending his TV run in 1960, but continued with live performances, which evolved into, quote, adult-friendly versions of Buffalo Bob that had a more nostalgic theme to it. The University at Buffalo's men's basketball team played its very first game on December 1st, 1905. They played against Cornell at Convention Hall. They lost, unfortunately, with a valiant effort, and the final score, believe it or not, Cornell 27, UB 23. Games certainly have changed. And the famous and now legendary Pierce Arrow Motor Car Company incorporated on December 2nd, 1916. They had a good run and sold most of their assets at auction in 1938. You've been listening to the WBFO History Bite. Discover more stories about Western New York's past on the Buffalo History Museum's website. Learn more at buffalohistory.org. For Buffalo Toronto Public Media, I'm Tom Barich. Explore the intersection of music and mental health with Mindful Music, hosted by mental health advocate and educator Carl Shalomorn. Listen to guests share how they use music to express their inner nature and manage their emotional well-being. Listen to Mindful Music on Saturdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 8 p.m. on WBFO. Hey, is this thing on? Test, test, one, two. Sounds great. Let's go. 
The podcast world is overflowing with more than 750,000 podcasts to choose from. But for great local podcasts, you can now go to one place, the new Amplify BTPM Pods app. Here you can discover content produced in Western New York and Southern Ontario, our own backyard. With a wide variety of genres to choose from, there is something for everyone. Listen to the best independently produced podcast in the region anywhere, anytime. Download the free Amplify BTPM Pods app wherever you get your apps and begin exploring your local podcast community now. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We're talking with Holly Kirkpatrick from WBFO. Her story um, is called Driving While Black in Buffalo. If you haven't heard it, you didn't hear the top of the program, I encourage you to go to WBFO.org to read it and also to listen in as well. Listening, of course, is a key part of this. Listening and finding people and the, the voices inside this story as well. How did you go about that? There's no portal for that, right? So no. you had to go find, you had to do some other work, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's more sort of traditional journalism, really. Um, and the first person that I spoke to was Jolanda Hill, who you heard in the story. Um, she's the co-founder of Fair Fines and Fees Coalition. She also owns a bike shop called Holistic Cycles on Jefferson. Um, and she's, I think she runs Colored Colored But Girls Bike 2, it's called. Um, and she was the first person I spoke to because I knew that she was a really big part of advocating for traffic stop receipts to happen in the city of Buffalo in the first place. Um, but I also wanted to tell the story through finding someone who had actually experienced a stop. That was really important. And I kind of ummed and ahed about how to do that at first. Didn't try massively hard at first. I was focused on the data still. And then when it came to the day of, right, this is the next stage in the story, I just went outside. That's mm. what I did. I just went onto the streets. And because, yes, it's a story about race. Yes, it's a story about policing. But it's also a story about freedom of movement and transportation. Um, and so I just thought, well, where's where's busy? It was lunchtime. Where's going to be busy? Um, so I went downtown onto Main Street near the Gold Dome Bank people may know that yeah, absolutely. Um, around the sort of train and bus stops there and James Clark was who was featured in the story you heard the young man who who told me about his experiences being stopped by the police James Clark was only about the fourth person that I spoke with so it he wasn't that hard to find um, and I would like to add that at least one person that I spoke to before I spoke with James Clark had been stopped by police as well but they didn't want to go on the record and talk about that on the radio. And do we not have, uh, we have a clip, I believe, from James Clark here? Yeah, we do. So uh, this clip that we're going to, going to hear is we heard in the story that Clark was followed for a while before he was stopped, according to his account. Um, and he told the story of that stop. And in this clip, we're going to hear more about how his vehicle was searched on that occasion. And we also hear about another traffic stop he experienced. Did they give you a reason for searching your vehicle? No, they didn't. They never gave me a reason to search my vehicle. 
they just say always say suspicion, uh, but they never said what I was being uh, suspicious of, and they just wanted to search the vehicle. They never found anything, and just sent me on my day. What time was this approximately? Can you remember? This was approximately like around like afternoonish, uh, broad daylight. It was afternoonish. It wasn't late night or nothing. It wasn't a early morning. It was a uh, afternoon day, nice and sunny. Well, how many times have you been stopped then? Uh, I would say in that area, four. To, I'd say four times I've been stopped in that area, and. One time they had a real reason. I didn't have my my license plate in the. I had it in the window instead of the the like the bottom of the bumper. So I guess that gave them a reason to stop me. But it was present. It was present for them to see my license plates. But they took me out my car for that, and I felt like I was supposed to be ticketed for that. There was no other reason. There was no drugs in the vehicle, and nothing. I was just stopped because my license plate was in the window instead of the bumper, and but I was searched when I was just supposed to get a ticket. We searched every time you've been stopped. Yes, yes. And that was James Clark, who you talked to uh, down on Main Street at uh, the uh, train station near uh, Huron. Um, it's interesting. Let's also let's just make sure to emphasize a key point here. It's one thing to get stopped. I think most people who've, who drive have been stopped, usually for speeding in some people's cases. <laughs> but to have your vehicle totally searched to be taken out of the vehicle is a whole nother level of intrusiveness. Yeah, and that's what struck me when I was speaking to him was just the sort of confusion that he had. It was this bemused um, facial expression. You can hear it in his voice as well in that story. It's like, oh, I felt like I should have been ticketed for that. Now, you know, we're not exactly advocating for tickets here. Right. Um, but he's saying, you know, if, if it was such an offense for me to be hauled out of my car for that, then... And then you just send me on my way without a ticket. Then I don't understand what the premise of the the stop was for, or the the, the pretext for the stop was. That was at least what I was picking up from what he was saying there. And also, again, to and we're going to get into this maybe a little bit later, but it's it's worth noting you know, the number of police killings this year alone. Yeah. Um, let's let's maybe get into this right now since since I just opened it up. How if you can anticipate, and then we can talk about the numbers in a second, but just if you can anticipate what is really happening in terms of numbers, how terrifying it must be to be a person of color being followed in the middle of the day through the streets of the city of Buffalo and getting pulled over. Yeah, and actually when I spoke to Jalonda Hill about this, she was saying that most people when you encounter a police officer, it's most likely to be through something like a traffic stop, if not a traffic stop itself. Right. Um, and then when you layer into that, the fact that according to the website Mapping Police Violence, black people are 2.9 times more likely to be killed by police in the United States than a white person is. You know, that means that there's an element of risk associated with just moving about. Right. A compared. traffic stop could lead to somebody's death. Yeah, or violence, or and Bobby Hodgson, you heard him in the story, the attorney at the New York Civil Liberties Union, how he was saying, you know, they lead to police violence or potentially your vehicle being taken away or an arrest. Um, and he said, if, if that's happening to black people more than it is to white people in Buffalo, then 
there's more risk for for black people in Buffalo. And the numbers for the year alone, I think, I mean, the numbers aren't maybe up to date to this exact moment that we have right here, right now, but for the year, how many killings in the, was it 970? Yeah, I think that's right, according to Mapping Police Violence. And in the web story version of this this story, about 7% of those started as a traffic stop and they ended in the death of somebody. Thanks for joining us today. This is What's Next on WBFO. More to come right after this. Did you know that WNED-PBS is always working on great new local shows for you to watch? Documentaries like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, which tells the story of Buffalo's music hall. The hall is very intimate, and that intimacy makes everyone who comes in here feel a part of our family. Fun and educational series like Compact Science. Believe it or not, peppers are technically fruits. And Shakespeare's greatest hits featuring some of his best-known soliloquies and monologues. We are such stuff as dreams are made of. You can watch them all on our website at wned.org slash local shows. While you're there, check out the show pages and many websites for additional content such as bonus features, photo galleries, and lesson plans. Find it all at wned.org slash local shows. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is What's Next. Our guest this morning is WBFO's Holly Kirkpatrick, discussing her recent story, Driving While Black in Buffalo. We're talking with Holly Kirkpatrick on what's next, her story, Driving While Black in Buffalo, as we uh, dig deeper into things here. You also, uh, you mentioned and had we had Jolanda Hill also in the story itself that we aired at the, at the top of the program. But let's talk uh, a little bit more. Jolanda Hill has more to say about, about this matter. Yeah, she was really important in telling this story. As I mentioned, she was the first person that I went to because of her expertise in this. Um, And she was fundamental not just to telling the story or voicing it, but to inform it and to develop the story and to take it beyond the data. Um, And the vital thing that she could bring was a potential solution to this. You know, the data can't do that. There's no, there's nothing I can put into Excel to make it come up with it. And the solution is, you know, no algorithm exists like that. Um, So she was able to tell us about potential solutions. And in the story, you heard her talk about potentially removing police from traffic enforcement. But in our full interview, she spoke about the role of improving infrastructure and, and the role that can play. Um, and how equitable planning and improved infrastructure has the potential to reduce and or remove police's role from traffic enforcement, according to her. Um, and in, in this clip, she talks about the campaign Just Streets Not Enforcement when it comes to that issue. The data is what it is. It shows that there are racial disparities in how traffic safety is enforced. And so the Fair Fines and Fees Coalition for the past three years has been advocating around a campaign called Just Streets, Not Enforcement. And the whole Just Streets concept is just that, you know, the city of Buffalo should invest in our infrastructure in a way that it takes into consideration the experiences of all people 
um, especially black and brown people, because we know that uh, they experience the most disparities when they're on the road, whether it's being stopped by the police, whether it's being uh, traffic violence, meaning that like, you know, the rates of black and brown people being hit by cars while they're on their bike, while they're walking. And so if you look at those disparities, the city should really step back and move away from punitive traffic safety measures and really think about restorative justice um, measures to um, keep our roads safe. Because like I already said, <laughs> pretextual stops does not deter crime. It does not make our roads safer. If anything, it just continues to keep black and brown people in a cycle of debt, uh, criminalization, and the, at the risk of having a really, you know, potentially deadly uh, encounter with the police or a really violent encounter with the police. So the Just Streets Not Enforcement campaign is really pushing the city to put their urban planner thinking caps on and really take the time to reinvest in a city that is one of the most, one of the best designed cities in America because it was designed by Frederick, <laughs> um, Frederick Olmsted. Um, so the Olmsted Parkway system, like this city is a beautiful city. There's so much that the city can do to reinvest in it. And why not think about, you know, redesigning this city through the lens of like racial justice? How does that happen? Well, the, so every city should have um, money in their budget to, um, you know, invest in their roadways, in their infrastructure. Um, the problem is here in the city of Buffalo, they don't allocate enough resources and money in the budget to have a process in a system where the road, the roadways and, you know, our public spaces are being um, maintenanced and, you know, on a consistent basis. And so you have streets like Jefferson Avenue that haven't been paved since 1990. <laughs> and you have other streets on the east side that, you know, are just full of potholes. And like, so while the police are running around giving people tickets for a broken taillight, you know, you have, a, you know, for example, a single mother on her way to work hitting a pothole and now her car is destroyed and now she's lost her transportation. <laughs> um, so it's just like, what are the priorities of the city? Is it to continue criminalizing something that is a human right, which is movement, which is being able to get in your car freely? Or is it investing in the city so that people truly, truly feel free to get to where they need to go? And for us, that is investing in streets, our, our, our streets, our public spaces. And that's why we're calling them Just Streets, because Just Streets acknowledges that the experiences of black and brown people when we move about in our cities looks different when than a white person moving about in Elma Village, for example, or just within the city of Buffalo in general. Um, and so we, we are right now working with a national coalition called Stop the Stops, who um, in, in that coalition has people from uh, cities around the country that are working with their police uh, you know, departments, working with their elected officials, um, around developing language for a policy for their cities to remove police from traffic enforcement. So we're not, so, so when we say remove police from traffic enforcement, we're thinking about it in a very responsible way. That is uh, Jolanda Hill talking with Holly Kirkpatrick for her story, Driving While Black in Buffalo. A, a couple of things from that uh, cut from uh, Jolanda Hill. One is a, despite knowing the facts, and as she used it, trying to picture how different it is 
for a white person to move around the city of Buffalo or around Elmwood Village as it compared to a, a person of color or a black person moving around. It's much different reality as being shown by your story here in terms of the, the traffic stops. But at the same time, there's a certain kind of, I want to call it almost optimism or this, there is a way to do this. There are ways to move forward. Is that what you took from from the conversation with Jolanda Hill? Yeah, and the fact that she was able to, to, to provide a solution is because of her work in this area. You know, as she said, she's working with that national coalition out of the Vera Institute of Justice called Stop the Stops. So she's informed about the this problem and the potential solutions to that. And, you know, removing armed police from traffic enforcement might sound pie in the sky, but it's actually not completely unheard of and through my conversation with her it was able I was able to then research you know okay as as anything like this happened and it is still quite a new idea but there are a couple of municipalities that have experimented with this and actually one is called Chapel Hill in North Carolina Home of the University of North Carolina. Yep. Oh, yeah, at, at least you. I had to Google it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> anyway, I called them and they were extremely polite on the phone. And um, I said, can you tell me um, what the deal is with your traffic stops? Except I put it in a much more professional manner. And um, they pointed me to their policy online. And what they do is they do not, they their, their police are not permitted to even stop a car for a non-moving or sort of non-safety related issue such as no insurance, no a sort of, you know, defaced license plate or um, tinted windows. You know, a stop's not even allowed to happen for one of those things. Now, speeding, yes. Right. Running through a red light, Absolutely. Safety issues, right. Yeah, yes. So it's not completely unheard of. And and a lot of uh, other advocates um, are also not totally into fully removing police from right. traffic enforcement, but just reducing their involvement. And I think that was her point as well as the, the main way to do that, or the first step is how she put it, was to invest in the infrastructure first and foremost, and then look at other possibilities. And I think it's just worth just maybe taking a moment just to kind of compare some of the facts that we've gone over here with with the realities. And that is, while it might seem to people, oh, impossible to take policemen or police officers out of traffic enforcement, at the same time, you know, what could be the benefit? The benefit being people who are afraid, who fear for these traffic stops. And again, here in the city of Buffalo, we're talking about people of color, black people there. It would be another step in reform to doing something to, you know, perhaps bring some equity to what is, you know, what is real in Buffalo. Yeah. And all of this raises the question is, are these stops being used in Buffalo as traffic enforcement to improve traffic safety? Or are they being used as a way to search for other crimes, which, you know, according to the lawyers I spoke to, would be against the Fourth Amendment of this country. Sorry to quote your own founding principles back at you. <laughs> that's that's all. That's fine. <laughs> we most certainly appreciate that because now we get a chance to explore the Fourth Amendment and hopefully at least one of us can remember what it was. Uh, but um, that does bring us, though, to another voice that I know you, you had inside 
uh, the uh, the story. But um, from the uh, and I did want to get in some legal analysis and some legal response here. Uh, this is an attorney with, with the National Center for Law and Economic Justice. Yeah, let's um let's talk about. I'll introduce her Please. and explain her involvement uh, with this world of police and race in Buffalo because it is important. Our any clip we're going to play a clip from her, but it's important that we kind of listen with this context in mind. So, Angela Malhotra is her name. She's a senior attorney at the NCLEJ, and she's the lead attorney representing the plaintiffs Black Love Resists in the Rust, which is out of Buffalo, uh, in a class action lawsuit which was filed in 2018. Now, that lawsuit uh, is filed against the city of Buffalo, and it alleges that the city of Buffalo targeted Buffalo's black and Latino communities through the Buffalo Police's vehicle checkpoint program, and specifically through its now disbanded traffic unit, which was known as the Strike Force, you might remember. Yes. Um, and I, I spoke to her about our findings just to get her take on this, and I asked her about the the legal alarm bells that go off for her as an attorney. And the, the good thing, Jay, about being English and asking these types of questions mm -hmm. is that people helpfully lay it out for you. <laughs> they take it down a few notches. Um, and I think it's a service not just for me, but actually to our listeners. Because there's this assumption of knowledge. Um, and, you know, it's important that our listeners know what laws are potentially being broken here. Um, I asked her this. We had a conversation. And here's what she had to say. The... The U.S. and the state constitution prohibit discriminatory policing. They require that government agencies treat all people equally regardless of the color of their skin. And here we can see that um, the Buffalo Police Department is, is clearly treating black and white drivers differently. There's, there's no explanation. Every Buffalo Police official has testified that black and white drivers commit traffic offenses at the same rate. That's your baseline. And if, if, if the Buffalo Police Department is engaging in a disproportionate number of stops, it suggests very strongly a discriminatory pattern of policing where black drivers and black people are being targeted at a disproportionate rate for um, traffic offenses or, or no traffic offenses and being subjected to uh, police encounters, police interrogations through these traffic stops. So the city of Buffalo seems to be very clearly violating the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution. In addition, um, individuals have a Fourth Amendment right uh, to be free of unreasonable seizures. So, and that right is also protected by both uh, the U.S. Constitution and the New York State Constitution. New York State Constitution goes further and doesn't even uh, permit officers to approach an individual, including someone who's driving, without a bare minimum of suspicion that they may be connected to a crime. And so by the Buffalo Police Department engaging in these disproportionate actions uh, towards minorities, traffic enforcement actions, it suggests there may also be a pattern of Fourth Amendment violations where the city of Buffalo is failing to stop individuals for um, legit legitimate reasons and instead stopping individuals for pretextual reasons during these traffic stops. So with the Fourth Amendment, it's not just about searching somebody, it's also about stopping somebody. Absolutely. The Fourth Amendment requires that for a government official, such as a police officer, to stop someone, they must have 
probable cause that they're committing a crime. And to temporarily detain them, they must have reasonable suspicion that they that something is amiss, something is afoot related to a criminal um, activity. And here we're talking about stops where no traffic ticket resulted from those stops. And you know we can't be definitive, but it does kind of raise a question with such a vast number of stops and a disproportionate stops of minorities not resulting in any kind of traffic ticket or violation. It suggests um, what we've seen in our litigation. It's very consistent with what we've seen in our litigation that the Buffalo Police Department is stopping individuals and, and disproportionately minority drivers without the a sufficient legal basis to justify the stop in the first place. A good sort of counter argument, I would say, is a police officer could turn around and say, well, there was a good reason. And I wrote it down on the traffic stop receipt. The person rolled through a stop sign and they had, for example, tinted windows. And I wrote both of those things on the receipt. So I did have a reasonable a reasonable suspicion, if you like, that they were breaking a law. So what would your argument be in response to that? Yeah, in that case, you know, there is uh, there there very well may be for a number of these stops legitimate reason for the stop. the The right that comes into play here is the right to equal protection under the law. And under the right to equal protection, the Supreme Court has been really clear that even where there is a legitimate ground, a city can't engage in a systemic pattern and practice of discriminatory policing. So in in that case, you know, I mean, in, in an individual situation, it's it's hard where there is a legitimate grounds to to challenge that, but where there's a, a pattern and practice of officers in a city engaging in disproportionate stops of minorities, regardless of the grounds, that that suggests a pattern and practice of unconstitutional discriminatory policing. That is uh. And Jana Maholtra, and she is from the National Center for Law and Economic Justice. You're hearing her on What's Next. We're talking with Holly Kirkpatrick from WBFO about her story, Driving While Black in Buffalo. A couple of, <laughs> lots of interesting points inside that. Uh, almost, in some ways, making a blank statement that the traffic stop receipt process in the city of Buffalo is almost fundamentally against the Constitution? I think it's the act of the disproportionality of the stops itself. Okay. Yeah. So the traffic stop receipts, from my interpretation of what she's she was saying, isn't necessarily the thing that's against uh, the law, in her view. It's more the yeah disproportionate nature of the stops themselves. The fact that, you know, we're, we're looking, we're, we're talking in detail about this story, but at the end of the day, if you zoom out rather than zoom in it's the fact that black people are not able to move around as freely as white people in their city yeah and it's also interesting you did mention that going into the cut about the uh, the strike force that um, was of course uh, in the city of buffalo wbfo had uh, a good amount of stories on that as well back in 2018 and I mean, this is a rhetorical question. I'm not looking for you to answer, but I mean, it, are the traffic stop receipts maybe just strike force light? Version 2023. You don't have to answer that, uh, but I just it just it, it occurs to me in that regard. You other another part of this we haven't gotten into. You also not only broke down 
overall receipts, but you also started looking into council districts as well. Yeah, I'm going to go back because I, I'm not going to fully answer your question okay. about are they just strike force. All right. But I would I can respond with some facts. Please. Um, so actually, what we're seeing is since 2020, and it's not necessarily because of the traffic stop receipts, it's just there is some sort of correlation since 2020, there has been a significant drop in the number of tickets being issued total. Which is a positive, I yeah. think most people and, would say. Yeah, and there's not enough data, I would say, in my uh, from from my data analysis um, to, to, to break those down by race, those tickets. But total, there's a huge drop. So that does suggest that, that, that this is a less punitive way um, of policing the streets. And from people like Jolanda Hill's perspective, and from uh, the, the, the perspective of somebody's bank account, that is going to be a good thing because you're not getting fined or you're not getting the opportunity to get into traffic ticket debt. So there is a lot of positives that are coming from the use of traffic stop receipts. Um, but this story is to show that, well, we can also use them to trace stops and report on that. And that's what this, this is all about. So while it might be less punitive, that at the same time, and the one thing that we keep coming back to, though, is a restriction of movement. Exactly. In your hometown. Yes. Um, there's so much to get into here. And I, I don't know if you necessarily want to get into breaking down the, the council districts. Is that something you want to put off for another time? Because I know there's more to come with the story. And also we have a couple other items that we have to uh, touch upon here before we uh, complete our segment on what's next. I can talk about it for sure. All right. Um, so... People, what what I was noticing, and it's a fair argument, but I was noticing when I was talking to people on record and off record, and if I'm honest, which is something you probably should never do, is scrolling no. down on the comment section of social media when this <laughs> social when this story was posted. Don't do it, kids. And um, <laughs> and a few people made um, asked a, asked a fair question, I would say, and that is well because one of the findings was zip codes with majority um, black residents had more total traffic stops than those with majority white residents. And people were saying, well, of course, high crime areas, uh, you know, they correlated that with race in their head. And that's just these comments. Um, of course, high crime areas, um, you know, are policed differently. Of course, there are more stops in those places. Of course, where more black people live, more black people are pulled over. And, and where more white people live, more white people are pulled over. And actually, with that last point, um, it's not completely inaccurate okay. to say that. All right. So when you break things down by council district, um, though, you do still see that there's a disparity. So let's take an example. Um, let's see how this translates to the radio with all these numbers. Yes. Um, but, for example, in South District, it is a majority white area and the u.s census tells us this 87 percent of people that live there are white five percent of people that live there are black the majority of people that get pulled over there are white okay All right. it corresponds with the racial demographic however as i said five percent of people that live there are black but 25 percent of the receipts in that district were for black people that's a disparity that's disproportionate to their population. And that's the point 
that this data, not, not me, not the story, that this data tells us. That's the point. Um, so yes, it's, it's a fair question to ask in the comments. And actually, I do appreciate any fair questions and engagement like that um, on our social channels. You can check them out, Instagram, Facebook, and X, previously known as Twitter. <laughs> Um, uh, but there is still a disproportionality in South District is a really good example to show that. Yeah, that's a, that's a striking number there for sure, uh, Holly. Um, we termed it, kind of putting into other people's terms, was sort of that these traffic stops, these traffic stop receipts are a quote-unquote less punitive approach perhaps. That's most certainly compared to giving out Multiple tickets, fines in some of the poorest neighborhoods in the city of Buffalo, that's for sure. Um, so there was, I guess we could almost call that progress. I don't know if I would necessarily want to give it that glowing of a term. But what, let's talk about, and you, 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 I thought you, you brought this up at the beginning of our conversation as well. Is anybody inside the department looking at this data and finding that, yeah, we, you know, we're falling short. We're not, you know. There's a reform. It's a technical reform. It's maybe Im improved to a certain extent. But is anybody taking a real look at what's happening on the city police force? That are these, is this an institutional thing in the sense that it's handed down and you need to do this? Or is it just something that has been part of the tradition, I suppose, of, of city police work in the city of Buffalo? So let's get back to, let's talk a little bit about what the city of Buffalo has said to you, I know you tried to interview both the mayor and mm -hmm. the police commissioner, uh, Joseph Grimalia. Yeah, so just to just to, to go into the response that I got from the city, it was from a city spokesperson who's the director of, the com of communications and uh, senior advisor to the mayor. His name is Mike DeGeorge. He gave us a statement, which you heard a, a little part, for, a part of in the story. Should I read it now? Um, yeah, go on. All right, so this is uh, the official statement that we received. Uh, for, on this story. The city of Buffalo established the stop receipt policy as part of its social reform agenda in 2021. The stop receipt policy was designed to provide motorists with information and clarity of why they were pulled over. Individuals who receive stop receipts are not being ticketed or receiving a summons. The Buffalo Police Department added police body cameras to help ensure transparency involving interactions between officers and citizens. If anyone has an issue regarding a traffic stop, they're asked to call the Buffalo Police Department and file a complaint. That is the direct quote in response to this story. A couple of things to fact check. Please. So um, as the story itself that we played at the top of this segment uh, outlined, it was that the stop receipts were actually put into place in June 2020, and then they were written into local law in July 2021. Okay, so that is a, cl a clarity to that uh, particular statement there as well. Uh, Commissioner Grimalia, uh, you attempted to uh, interview him on this? Yeah, so I think that was just an unfortunate timing. So he was actually on vacation at okay. the time that I asked for an interview and wasn't going to be able to provide an interview in time for the deadline of this story. Um, but I did extend an invitation to him. I called his office to say that we would really welcome a a conversation, an interview with him, maybe even on what's next uh, is an idea Absolutely. that I'm just thinking of now. Oh, yes. Um, and he, uh, it has yet to, to return my call, but I will try again. And um, I would really, really welcome that conversation because we have, we're talking amongst ourselves right now where we have that question. Are, 
are they using this data? Do they ever look at it? If not, why not? If so, why? And what are they doing with the, their own findings? Um, and yeah, I, I asked for an interview with Mayor Brown. The reason I asked for that is not just as a, you know, the mayor of the city, but this was part of his reform, reform agenda. agenda. Yeah. So it's, well, this is what we found. What do you make of these findings? Is it turning out how you thought it was going to? And also, um, what are you going to do about it? I suppose is the blunt kind of question. Are you going to do anything about these findings? Um, how how are you going to receive this information, you know? Well, I, I will extend it officially as well, and not that it's necessarily my place, but we would welcome any response from uh, the Buffalo Police Department or City Hall in regards to this particular issue. Um, it, you did a great job getting the data mm-hmm. and, and bringing it out, and I think... I think some of the assumptions, I'll use the term assumptions for my, myself, you know, are fairly clear about what that data is telling us. But, um, uh, but it would be, like you said, something to, to get a little bit of a conversation going about what is going on in the city of Buffalo with its residents and its police force. Yeah, and, and talking with the police commissioner and the mayor is really important to this story because it's it's a public interest piece of work and getting that perspective and having those people able to answer some of those questions is really important to making this story even deeper and to informing our audience so they can make up their own minds. And we're coming down to our final moments here of uh, what's next with uh, Holly Kirkpatrick, author of the story Driving While Black in Buffalo. I encourage you to go to WBFO.org and to check it out. Or as uh, Holly also mentioned, uh, you can find out a lot more on our social media platforms as well. It's something I did want to you know, just to touch on just a little bit there. Um, the, the creation of the visualizations you did mention. Uh, I, Allison's name, I believe it was uh, earlier. Alyssa. Oh, Alyssa, I'm sorry. Alyssa Brule. Yeah. She's the data analyst here. She created the visualizations for this story, which if you haven't seen them, I would urge people to check them out on WBFO.org. Um, or if you use social media, they're on our Instagram and our Facebook and X, which was known as Twitter. And I think we've been talking about the reporting behind this, but actually, if you look at those visualizations, they in some cases, I think, tell the story. They tell the story. They're quite stark. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that's why I would direct people to, to go and have a look at them. If you're listening to this and you've been interested in this, then you'll certainly be interested to see the visualizations. We know we'd like to talk to someone from City Hall or the police department regarding this. So that could be what could be next about this story. But what is next for this story? There's... You've done a lot of work already, but there's still more work to do, isn't there? Yeah, I think I would like to, we were speaking about the council districts. Um, I would like to break the data down by council districts in a story and put that on our website. I think that's certainly a next stage. And from there, really, if I'm honest, it's now in the public domain. That was the purpose of this is like I, I keep going back to the fact that this was in the public interest and now it's out there so there's a lot that is out of any of my control now that it's out there you know Holly if we had more time I'd ask your opinions on all this but we don't have time oh how how lucky yes how unfortunate for us in that regard Holly Kirkpatrick author of Driving While Black in Buffalo 
Uh, check it out at WBFO.org. You can listen to the sound there. We had it at the top of the program as well, but there's a lot more information there to be found, and hopefully we'll be hearing more about this story as we move forward. Holly, thanks very much for joining us on What's Next. Thank you for having me. This is What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.